Hello? Hello? John, we got it, finally. Oh, yay. <laughs> uh, well, I, I just want to thank you for doing this. I know that, uh, you know, you've got a lot going on right now, and I appreciate you taking, you know, just a little bit of time to talk to two fanboys. I guess let me just start at the beginning. I mean, I, you know, doing a little bit of research, you kind of had a varied career before you got into comics. Why did you decide that this is what you wanted to do after acting and doing all this other stuff? Well, I, I've loved comics for like a long, long time. I mean, uh, I can I can tell you some of the comics you know, that I read when I was a kid. Also, uh, my mother had read Frederick Wortham's book or heard about Frederick Wortham's book and told me I couldn't read superhero comics. So, of course, I had to seek them out whenever I could. <laughs> so, uh, but no, I just really, really have gotten into uh, comic books. And, uh, in fact, as I've often said, one of my first reactions on getting my first comic book job was that now I had an excuse to be buying all the comic books that I was buying. Because <laughs> now it's famous research. Tax deductible. Yeah, in, in theory. <laughs> yeah. What, what was your first published uh, your, your, your first published work? When was that? That was, uh, well, let's see, it was a backup in the first issue of Warp, which was the first comic published by First Comics. And it featured a character called Sargon, Mistress of War, and uh, the story was called Rough and Tumble. It was an eight-pager. And from that, you know, uh, everything went on from there. Oh, about when was that? Oh, geez. I've got, uh, I got figured it's late 80s, early 90s. Okay. I lose track of time. I'm at the age, you know, where you lose track of time. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you are one of the few people, I think, for, you know, that, that are still in the game that were in there in the 80s. I mean, most people have moved on or... Oh, you're no longer relevant, and we don't need you yeah. anymore. So, I mean, you are one of the, the, the last holdouts, I guess, that are still putting out today. Well, I still hope to prove that I can still do it, you know, and to get the uh, companies to give me more work. So, uh, But, yeah, you know, it's a little tough. You know, sometimes some of the companies think, you know, you reach a certain age, and, you know, you can't write for the young'uns anymore because you don't know <laughs> anything about them, and, uh, which, of course, is BS. You know, uh, first of all, I remember being a young um, vaguely, and secondly, you know, storytelling is storytelling. You know, you tell a good story, and you're going to get people involved. Before uh, we get too deep, I know Joel jumped in real early on uh, how you got started, but sorry I, about that. <laughs> well, I'm excited. I mean, well, the thing is, like Joel and I definitely are familiar with your body of work, but I wanted uh, to just like kind of do a quick intro into who you are before uh, maybe for some of the listeners who aren't as familiar with your work or uh, what you've done, what do you think you are most known for? Probably Grimjack. I have Suicide Squad, definitely. Spectre, Wasteland, my Star Wars stuff, and lots of other stuff besides. <laughs> yeah. but, just, but those are probably the biggest ones. <laughs> you just ticked every one of my reading boxes for the last 20 years, John. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me ask you, I mean, we did talk about, I mean, you have been in the business for a while. How do you keep it fresh for yourself? I mean, you've written a lot of stories. How do you, how do you challenge yourself? Well, you know, each, each assignment brings along different challenges. And what you have to do is analyze what, what you're doing and what you're trying to do. And then um, figure out what story that you're interested in telling. Uh, I still read a lot of excuse me, magazines and newspapers so that I can keep current as to what events are going on today. And I try to incorporate aspects of that into um, 
whatever story that I'm telling. That way people hear an echo of something that feels real because it touches on uh, real-life things that they may have experienced. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you did kind of give a greatest hits of, of what you think you're known for. And you know, one of the themes that I keep seeing is you kind of have a, a great track record and you seem to, to specialize in either revamping or updating characters. I mean, you're responsible for, you know, after Barbara Gordon, I guess, was pretty much brutalized uh, by mm-hmm. the Joker. You turned her into Oracle. You, know, you revamped the Spectre, the Martian Manhunter. I mean, what is your process when someone comes to you and says, here's your playground, here's what we want you to do? How do you first kind of start to get into that and and figure out what you want to do with the characters? Well, I look at the character and I try to figure out what are the essentials. Why are we interested or should be interested in in this given character? What makes them different from from other characters? What is their background? What is what has been done with them in the past? What do I want to incorporate? Uh, that'll include even uh, things like Star Wars. When I have to know what Star Wars is and what Star Wars is like. Even if I'm not doing one of the major characters, as mm-hmm. we often didn't, but I have to understand the genre, the over, uh, as well, in order to be able to write in it. So I try to make sure that I know what's essential for, for it, and then and then build from there. I take a premise, and then I try to extrapolate from that. Well, if this is so, then what should follow from that? The first time, the first thing of yours that I was really familiar with was the Suicide Squad. Now right. I know this came out right after Legend and kind of spun out of the same area as the Giffen and DeMatteis uh, Justice League, and I know yeah. they were given kind of marching orders of, you know, you can't use the big guys, you can use Batman for a little bit, you're going to have to use B stringers. Were you kind of given the same direction, I guess, when when it was handed to you, or was this something that you came to them and said that you wanted to do, or? Well, well, the only thing that was handed to me was the name Suicide Squad. I know, I knew that uh, there had been an earlier version of of the Squad for about I don't know a half dozen issues that was published, I think, in Showcase, but it hadn't been there ever since. I originally wanted to do Challengers of the Un- of the Unknown, but somebody else was developing that. So Bob Greenberger, the editor that I was working with, um, said, "Well, we got this other title, Suicide Squad." Why don't you take that? And I said, Suicide Squad, what a stupid idea. (laughs) I said, who in their right mind would belong to something that calls itself Suicide Squad? And from that came my answer. People who have no other choice, who don't have any choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Criminals. uh, And then I start getting into the idea of a cross between Mission Impossible and, uh, and the Dirty Dozen. And from that, the rest of the story came, uh, started to come out, and the idea of taking certain characters. Now, Bob had a few characters that he wanted us to use uh, in it, and uh, and so I said, oh, okay, fine, And uh, but there are also some characters that I wanted to use. We used a lot of the Flash characters, because at that point, Flash had been revamped, and, they weren't, and the Flash office wasn't really interested in those characters. It's sort of how we wound up with Oracle, with Barbara Gordon as well. She had just been, you know, damaged, and then the Bat office at that point wasn't planning to do anything further with her. So my wife, Kim Yale, and I decided, give her, give her to us, and we'll show you. <laughs> I guess before, you know, I guess Jeff Johns is really known for taking the Flash villains and running with them, but you really were the first one to start giving them all the, the little quirks and the personality and starting to develop them and really laying the foundation for everything that's come up even to the Flash series now, I would think. 
Yeah, yeah. I say. Well, I think that's true. Uh, now, Deadshot wasn't a flash villain. He was really a minor league Batman villain. But I really wanted to use him because I liked how he looked. But there, but there again, I I went into his, you know, what did we know about him? What was a given? And then from that, what could I extrapolate and uh, uh, and use? So I don't try to change change them again, as I try to get down to their basics. With Captain Boomerang, well, he's kind of a goofy character, but at the same time, I like the idea of a villain who's completely at ease with who he is. He's an asshole, and he knows it, and he's content with that. It makes him happy. <laughs> Every time he thought he had gone as low as he could, he found a new level. <laughs> is there anybody that you wanted to use, but we're told, no, we have plans for them? There's a lot of characters, actually, that I didn't want to use, because mm-hmm. if there were big names and stuff like that, you know, like if they were planning to be used, then you got to then you got to tiptoe around both those plans and past continuity. You know, like it's actually more fun to have characters that um, that they aren't planning to use, and then you got a free reign with them. Do whatever you feel like. Yeah, yeah, basically within within certain boundaries. Yeah, I mean, we even got to kill off some of them. Is there anybody that you regretted killing off in the course of the series that, that ooh, I really could have got another storyline out of them or? Well, we did bring back Rick Flagg, so ultimately I was sorry that I killed him off. But for the most part, no. No, I was, I was glad to... Uh, um, there's a lot of what I call Deadwood in the, in the villains thing. Uh, but the odd thing was, often when I would start working with him, i go, well, actually, there is something to him, but I'm killing him now, so... <laughs> you know, I think you're you're one of the few um, writers that have really contributed overall to the expansion of the DC universe where it's actually stuck. Because most people write these great stories and then somebody comes along, retcons it out, ignores it. But I mean, like, like you said, you made um, Barbara Gordon Batgirl, um, uh, Oracle. And, you yeah. know, you created one of my favorite characters, Amanda Waller, who yeah. I think is the only person... Uh, that Batman actually fears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember one of my favorite covers is Batman being backed against the wall by Amanda, you know, as she's pointing her finger at him and yelling at him. Just, just looking, this overweight, sassy black woman. Yeah. yeah. I mean, were you surprised, kind of, how Amanda? I mean, reading, I did go back and reread a lot of the Suicide Squad. She just seemed like this character that would not be ignored and just no kind of developed herself. It almost felt like you didn't have control over, um, I don't know how I'm trying to say this, but she came out fully fleshed. Well, uh, I mean, if you read the, um, the Suicide Squad Secret Origins issue, uh, her background's all there. You know, so you get an idea of who she is. But yeah, I had a real clear idea of who she was. Also, what I liked was that there was absolutely no one like her in comics. Uh, not someone of her physical size, not someone of her attitude. You know, um, you know, and just a very strong African-American yeah. character and woman. I really do think he, she is probably the only person that gives Batman just a, a moment's notice of, yeah, I don't know if I want to mess with her. <laughs> Anybody else? He'll take down Superman before he'd go after her. Yeah, yeah, possibly. possibly <laughs> you know, and, and that's a nice feeling, you know. Uh, is it, and I can but, understand it, too, you know. Yeah, she's a tough cookie. I mean, what what is it like? I mean, now I guess there's been three different actresses played this character that you helped create. What is that like for you when you get to see it on a screen? Well, not to sound crass, but every time I see her on screen, I go ka-ching because I have participation <laughs> with DC. And I know that they get money for the use of Amanda Waller, and I get some of that. 
<laughs> not a lot, but That's I get good some to hear, every though. time that, yeah. that that happens. <laughs> so I'm very well, excited by the Suicide Squad movie. Oh yeah. well, since you, I you know, I, I mean, I've seen a couple interviews with you uh, about it. I mean, everybody seems to want to talk about that. I was going to kind of avoid it, but you opened the door. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, is it? What, did you have any inclination that this is what they were going to do, or were you just no, as surprised as the no, rest of us no, when they I announced? I had no idea before. I found out at the same time as all the rest of the people, you know, like all of you found out. You know, I, you know, when I started reading about it in the press. No, I take that back. Uh, I did get a call at one point from Jeff. Give, just a little bit before it was happening, telling me that it was going to happen. Uh, but I had heard that there were some plans to do it, but I was surprised by the fact that it's the first film after the uh, Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice movie. That's, that's pretty high profile. You know, I was really surprised that that was what they decided to go with, but, you know, it tickled me pink because it probably has the best, easiest high-concept pitch of any DC property we're going to force villains to do the things that nobody wants to do, and if they die, so be it, mm-hmm. and see what happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is probably the best pitch that you can give for a superhero movie, I would think. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, again, the basic pitch that I gave was uh, – well, actually, what I gave was super, uh, Secret Society of Supervillains meets um, The Dirty Dozen. That pitch basically got me the story because it, it defines the book. You get a lot of supervillains running around. And the other thing we wanted to do with the book – also, is to establish that the villains could be dangerous on their own on their own terms. You know, mm-hmm. If they're not dangerous beings, then the heroes are just bullies for for beating them up all the time. If they're just <laughs> these incompetent doofus type characters, yeah. but if they're seriously, but if they're you know, like if they could kill people, if they could cause real trouble, and you could show that. Well, okay, then when they go back to the other books, they would seem to be a little bit of stronger characters. Well, I know um, Adam has been biting to talk about the Star Wars universe. He keeps sending me this little message. Do I get to talk? Do I get to talk? So, (laughs) because I've kind of monopolized everything, but I'm going to let Adam talk a little bit about Star Wars because I have some questions as well. Adam? Yeah, the... um I actually haven't read any Suicide Squad. <laughs> that is your loss. So, how many how many so, issues did it run, John? Sixty. Yeah. Oh, sixty odd, uh, yeah. and some of them odder than others. <laughs> so, uh, but but I am a huge Star Wars fan, <laughs> and uh, I've been reading the novels for years, and I'd um, started reading the comics pretty mm-hmm. regularly, and probably late. Late 90s, early 2000s. There's a few names I think of when I think of Star Wars. Timothy Zahn, Kevin J. Anderson, Michael Stackpole, and John Astrider. Your your name is on that list for sure. Oh, Um, good. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, if if I, like, the first thing, Joe Joe was like, hey, do you want to interview John? And I was like, can I talk Star Wars? And he was like, sure. And and, (laughs) Are you sure we can talk Star Wars? Yes. He's okay with me talking Star Wars. Yes. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And if, if if he said to me, hey... Um, I want to put together the greatest, you know, let's put together a Star Wars panel with some great creators on it. Um, there's no way that your name would not be on that list. I mean, no, thank you. If, if someone said Star Wars, all right, this is enough. if someone said Star Wars comics to me, I would say John Ash- Ostrander. So, okay. So that said, how. Gosh, <laughs> gosh, gosh, gosh. Let me get that out of the way. Okay. <laughs> so that said, um, how did you get involved in the Star Wars universe? Well, my buddy, Tim Truman was doing, um, was scripting the Star Wars uh, Monthly, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, he was one of a rotating group of writers. 
but he was he was supposed to go off and do a special project, and uh, so he recommended me to come in while he was away. So I knew I would have at least one arc. So I came in, and Jan Dersma came in with me, and we decided if we had, we didn't know if we would ever get another arc. So if so, we would try to put everything we loved about Star Wars into it, and we loved Star Wars. So that's what we did. And uh, then Tim didn't choose to come back, and they were happy with us. And one of the things that I pushed at the time, I said, I understand that you like to bring in different people to do different arcs. I said, but <laughs> what? But I thought there was a couple things they should do. One, if you had a consistent team, writer and artist, then the fan, then you're more likely to have fans pick up each issue. Uh, it won't depend upon who's coming in for a given issue. If they know the team and they like the team, they'll invest in coming in for, for each and every issue. And then I also said, and you also want to create some characters that you control. So you're not constantly stumbling all over uh, continuity. And uh, so that's what I recommended. And eventually that's what they saw. Well, it's like, well, so you ended up being one of the major contributors to the Star Wars Expanded Universe basically on a fluke. <laughs> yeah, 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 basically. But, but how much of the rest of life really is, you know, yeah. uh, you, know <laughs> you get lucky, you get a fluke, and boom, there you are. Looking through my Star Wars comics, and I almost have, I have the entire run of Marvel now, and I almost have <laughs> all of the Dark Horse ones. There's still some Dark Horse that I'm missing. You're all over the place. You did prequel stuff. You did stuff mm -hmm. in like the regular, I guess, uh, movie timeline continuity. You did stuff like way later with the Star Wars Legacy stuff. Right. What all? What all Star Wars stuff have you worked on? Just kind of wrap my head around. Well, we did the prequel stuff, of course. Uh, you know, it's the Clone Wars stuff because at the time um, there was no indication that George Lucas was going to do the Clone Wars. We knew that in between episodes two and three, when the Clone Wars would have occurred, he was just jumping straight into the end of it. So we thought, well, okay, you know, like, let's tell some of this story. If it's not going to be told anywhere else, people will want to read some of those stories. You know, like, what was the Clone Wars like? So we did that. Um, then, uh, as that was drawing to an end, you know, like our time there, uh, Jan and I were casting about for where we want, what we wanted to do next. And the thing for me was, with a story, I always like to go, yeah, and then what happened? What happened next? <laughs> so that's how we started to come up with Legacy. We wanted to see what happens further down the timeline than anywhere else that was in the Star Wars universe at, at that point. You know, you could do, it wouldn't have the big three. You know, it could, wouldn't have the standard stuff. You know, uh, so we wanted, and also the comics would be, be the only place where you could read this. So, so we liked that. And that seemed to work pretty well. And then after we finish that, you know, well, if you've gone that far ahead, well, okay, let's go back to the start, you know. <laughs> so we'll go back to the dawn of the Jedi. And that's what we did. One of the things that you had mentioned was kind of not trying not to stop, step on continuity and all that stuff. And being that you've been all over the Star Wars timeline, it seems like you, you really seem to focus on um, stories that don't revolve around the main characters that we know from the Star Wars universe. You want to go into a little bit about all of that, kind of working around with those characters? Yeah, I, I I love the main characters. You know, I, yeah, absolutely do. I mean, that's what just sucked me in. 
Yeah, I mean, as I've told other people, you know, I, I, I'm a Star Wars fan from before the first movie. <laughs> I'd come across the paperback version of it, mm-hmm. and it looked interesting, so I took it home and read it. And I, I thought, well, okay, if they can get 50% of what's in the book on the screen, you know, it'll be pretty good. And then they got 250% of what's in the book <laughs> on the screen. So I'm a long time, long time fan. So, and I've now lost track of your question. Oh, <laughs> I guess so I, remind I, me again what it was. I, guess, I went off on my tangent. No, that's okay. I do that too. Um, the uh, just kind of the, talking about the really, you know, we have the expanded universe and you not focusing on the main characters super contributed to the depth of the expanded universe by creating your own characters and going like your own direction and telling multitudes of stories that are completely off the the central like aspect of what star wars is and i was just kind of curious about um what went into doing all that and kind of telling those stories one of the things that happened is in our efforts to not get tripped up by continuity we created our own continuity and then when george lucas used ala uh, our creation uh, in um, partly in episode two and then mostly a lot more in episode three, yeah. all of a sudden we were tripping over our own continuity. So that and the checks. Funny. And the royalty checks, right? Yeah, uh, No, no royalty checks. <laughs> uh, sorry. Nope. When you work for Uncle George, it's like you work for the mouse. There's no yep. royalty involved. Yeah. And we knew that going in. Yeah. Okay, so so, this, so that's not a complaint. You know, we just wanted to play in that sandbox. Right. And Lucas has been very generous about letting other people play in that sandbox. Probably he'll be more generous than than uh, Disney will be now. Definitely mm-hmm. seems so. The um, one of the things I've always wondered about, and one of the things I've always loved about the Star Wars universe, the expanded universe, and all that, is the continuity. I mean, you've got all these different writers, and everybody's telling their own stories, but like. If you really wanted to look at it, you could probably put 90% of it together and it would make sense. What goes into all you guys working together and, and keeping keeping it uh, true like that? Well, first of all, you know, anything that we would create would have to go through Lucasfilm licensing. Uh, they would have to approve it from like the plot concept, through the plot, through the script, through the art, and so on and so on and so on. You know, like every stage, it had to get approved. And a Lucasfilm licensing basically was clearinghouse, and they kept things, they kept a lot of things in order. You know, so, uh, so that helped. And they could also re- refer you to certain manuals or stuff like that. You know, um, I, I have a ton of, I still have a ton of Star Wars reference materials and stuff, and uh, so, I can, so I can check that. And I have, to, and yes, I will do research into certain things. Uh, for instance, when I did Agent of the Empire, uh, I was doing a lot of research into what the Imperial uh, Intelligence Bureau was like at the time. <laughs> uh, being that like you kind of had all this to run with, how much freedom did you really have to create and tell your stories? Like you had to run everything by them. Were they pretty lenient with stuff as long as it stuck within uh, their bounds? I guess. Yeah, yeah. Actually, they were. They were very encouraging. They were very open, and they also came to trust Jan and me because they, you know, like, as things went on, they learned that we a we were fans. Jan is perhaps an even bigger Star Wars fan than me, uh, if that's possible, and and that we loved Star Wars, and that we were going, and that we knew Star Wars, and that we would respect Star Wars. So not only in terms of continuity, but also in terms of tone and feel. Did it feel like Star Wars? And uh, I think our stories did. So yeah, we got a lot of uh, freedom and support. You know, uh, very rarely would they say no to a storyline. 
honestly, that's always one thing that I've um, enjoyed the Star Wars universe over, like, for, say, the Star Trek universe. The Star Trek universe books are just a mess. <laughs> like, it's just like anybody could just do whatever they wanted. And I've always appreciated that about the Star Wars universe, about it's, it's how it seemed like everybody worked together. Well, that used to be true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When 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 you guys, especially back in the uh, like when you were doing the earlier uh, kind of dark horse, uh, I guess mid early dark horse stuff, what how much of it did you guys actually work together with other writers? Did you plan things out, or was it all just mainly through editors? No, uh, no, basically it was with our editor. I mean, that's yeah. part of the point of creating your own characters and working with them is so you aren't tripping over um, everyone else's character. You just want to be aware of what's going on, particularly if you're going to bring one of the characters from uh, outside your version or your part of the of the sandbox uh, into it, then you have to be at least aware of what's going on with those characters. But in large, uh, largely because we carved out our own section of the Star Wars universe, we, we actually had a lot of freedom. Yeah. One of the characters that you created, and like you said, some of your characters got used in the movies, which I didn't realize that. I figured that it was kind of a, hey, here's some characters that you guys can work with, and then you guys wrote with those, and then George Lucas was like, oh, I have planned for, plans for this guy in the movies. I didn't realize that like he was like, oh, that's a cool character. I'm going to use it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one of your characters that uh, when I started reading again, like I started reading uh, Dark Horse you know, 10, 12, somewhere around there, but uh, is I think the first one I picked up, but one of the characters that you you developed is and again it's all on paper so you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong here but uh, Quinlan Voss yeah Quinlan Voss okay do you want to talk a little bit about about that character because he seems yeah. to have really taken on a life of his own well yes yes he did and um, like I said you know he was the star of our uh, dance my first arc together and again we wanted to put into that whatever you know we could that we felt was Star Wars you know we felt if we have only one Star Wars story to tell. We're going to enjoy it and make it really cool. And so um, Quinn started off. Uh, I mean, the first time we we meet him, he's in a burning building and he has and he's amnesiac. He has no idea who he is or how he got there. And so then we take it off from there. I always like that kind of idea of sticking somebody in the middle of something right at the start, uh, mm-hmm. the, because the reader doesn't know either. So they're just encountering things at the same time Quinn was. And so uh, then, you know, as we developed him, by his very nature, he tends to dwell more on the darker sides and aspects. You know, he has trouble uh, doing that sometimes or gets into trouble. So that all just sort of developed as we more fully explored the character. Yeah, I mean, I always loved how he was, he just, he's a guy that just, he did what he thought he needed to do. And like, no matter what it was, I always really kind of like the edgy edginess of him. <laughs> Let me ask a question here. And before I ask, I just have to say in five years of doing interviews, John, I've never heard Adam geek as hard as he did. <laughs> talking <to you. laughs> We've talked to some big names and I've yeah. never heard him just absolutely go uh, spaz out like that before. Well, so I was going to say, we never did a star Wars guy, but we actually did Herb Trampy a few years ago. So we did, we did. Yeah. Because I'm a huge Quinlan Voss uh, fan as well. It it really seems how much of you is in him. Again, maybe this is me reading into it. It doesn't seem like you're writing him as much as you are maybe channeling him. Because it really just it, it just leaps off the page. I think out of even more than Amanda Waller, I think this is you know something that 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 you had some kind of uh, primal connection to. Well, if I'm doing it right, all my characters have aspects of me. I mean, speaking of Amanda, somebody. 
once said it was amazing to consider that there was a middle-aged, angry black woman inside of John Ostrom. <laughs> evidently, that's true. Um, uh, the same thing. The same thing with Quinn. You know, like, there are obviously things within him that uh, that speak to me and that I speak to him. Um, but I think it's the responsibility of any writer. You know, on any character that you that you're working with to find where that character is within you, because if you can't do that, then how do you expect to link it to your reader? And if you don't link it to your reader, how are they going to get involved in the story? I just want to say he's my favorite to the point where you know they can keep their Boba Fett movie. <laughs> really, bring me Quinlan Voss. Let's see that movie. That's what I want yeah. to see them bring. That would be cool. Although I do have to tell you that uh, there's one character perhaps is. Yeah, even closer to my heart than Quinn, and that's Zilly, mm. Bill Mark Rark. I don't know if you, I don't know if you could do a movie, but <laughs> no, 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 no. He's a great support character, but Zilly, Zilly is a character who, if I'm not careful, would could just come in and take over a story and um, and kidnap it and steal it. You've been writing Star Wars for years now, and you, like I said, you've added a lot to the Star Wars Expanded Universe, which in, uh, I'm having a lot of t- trouble adjusting to the idea of there being a clean slate, new Star Wars uh-huh. universe at this point. And I don't even write a lot of it. So how is, how is that going for you? <laughs> um, uh, basically, you know, uh, I don't own the characters. I don't control the characters. Yeah. And if that's what they want to do, that's what they do. You know, you know, somebody else owns the characters. Yeah. And uh, and I always knew that was a possibility. You know, anytime you're working in comics, you always have to deal with a possible revamp. And let's be honest. You know, maybe Star Wars could use a little bit of that in order to make it fresh again. Yeah. You know, what is important? Does every single story count? Well, maybe not. Maybe not, and, and and maybe maybe, and I'm going to get stoned as a heretic. Maybe it was overdue. <laughs> it, the, the crazy thing to me is, it is crazy how big the Star Wars expanded universe got. Like it got huge. Mm-hmm. Like you guys filled in years upon years, generations upon generations, and just probably thousands plus characters mm-hmm. and all those stories. I don't know. Like I've been again. I've been reading it for you know. I've been reading Star Wars for thirty years now, pretty much. I don't know. Like, it definitely is. It's, I guess it's the idea that, you know, as a writer, and since you've, you've worked with DC and stuff, DC is constantly kind of <laughs> starting over. Yeah. But uh, me and for me, I mean, Star Wars, it's just I have, like, years and years of Star Wars knowledge in my head. It's really hard to read some of these new stories, which I've been reading, and, and um, it's really hard to read them without already having, like, some sort of weird reference in my head to compare it to. Basically, all of us, we have to accept that as, you know, that's the new norm. The big question, and they're taking a gamble with it. Yeah. You know, I mean, anytime that you change something that radically, are you going to gain more fans than you lose? Will there be those who will say, okay, they're changing it all. I got, this is a good place for me to stop. Yeah. Yeah. And there may be people like that. The gamble is, can we entice <laughs> more people into looking at the movies and reading the stuff? Yeah, I know that, like, uh, I already know, like, I guess with the relaunch, which I guess they did a couple months ago, uh, obviously, they, I guess they sold a million of number one or whatever that real number is, I don't know. But uh, I know a lot of people that jumped on and gave it a shot with this new number one, and uh-huh. they're interested in it. And it's interesting to me because I've always been interested in it. 
But if it can get new readers and and hold on, like you said, to some of the old ones, then I guess it's a it's a check in the win column. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to. Uh, those of us who are old time fans, you have to remember that they're looking for a mass audience, and if the mass audience cannot get into Star Wars because of all the extended universe and all the stuff that's been written. If you need a master's degree in in extended <laughs> in the extended universe history, I want you know, that to degree. really get it, then <laughs> you're not going to have it as many people trying it out. I mean, that's one of the things I always liked about Dark Horse was they did have that chronology of where everything that they put out fit from right at the beginning to the 5,000, 10,000 years. Um, with like uh, Knights of the Old Republic all the way out through the legacy stuff. They had it. You want to know where it fits? You read this one. It fits right in here. It fits right in here. Mm-hmm. I did like that. And I'll be honest, you know, I turned 40 last year, so I am <laughs> one of the crusty old readers. And I did see that as my, all right, you know what? We had a good run, but I'm not uh, really interested in just hitting the reset button of the last 20 years of my of my, yeah, <laughs> of my reading life. You're like that with everything, Oh, come on, Joel. come on. You aren't going to go see episode seven. Oh, I didn't say I wouldn't see it, but there's a difference between the yeah. movies and the comics. For me to, yeah, to to go and pick up comics and go, what you read for the last 20 years doesn't count. We don't care. We're not going to reference it. And there's not that was what I really enjoyed about the the Star Wars stuff was you did have that chronology that they went mm-hmm. out of their way to you know you could look on their website in the back of most of their trades was <laughs> this yeah. falls in between oh, this yeah. and this and mm-hmm. you could keep it straight so you did have this expanded universe that was had a cohesive end to just to me almost throw that away and just we're not gonna i just i'm sorry it just it, it bothers me on a primal level but i am the man that hates everything yeah well i mean you, you have the same argument every time <laughs> dc reboots and I'm and have I been or, right every time so far? Oh, I don't I don't read a lot of DC. Uh huh. That's <laughs> nice sidestep. Yeah. <laughs> I will say I'm gonna completely. I, I I totally am gonna miss uh, Admiral Zahn or uh, Admiral Thrawn and uh, and um, Dala. I love Dala and I love Mary Jade. And it's gonna be hard to live in a universe without those characters. <laughs> well, you know, uh, um, again. You're you're the readers that they may be sacrificing. Oh, I'm still reading the of, new stuff of attracting here. a larger audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, I can see the desire to attract a wider audience. So, um, and again, part of me goes, well, it's their characters. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, I got no call to to say, you know, well, you know, my, I, come on, my stuff is still in print. Exactly, somewhere. I'm still going to yeah. read it. <laughs> yeah, so you know, so if somebody wants to read my stuff, they can. I totally agree. I mean, that's that's where I I stay on the comics line. Um, if if you don't like the new stuff and you like the old stuff, you can always reread the old stuff. I'm, I'm always happy to say that. Have that said, I mean, have you shown any? Have you reached out, or has anyone reached out to you about writing any of the the Star Wars uh, Marvel stuff? I did uh, talk to the editor and uh, or at least emailed them, indicating that I was interested, if they were interested. But I can also understand the, the idea at this point that they want to go with a new slate yeah. of people in order to establish their own identity as being severed from Dark Horses. Absolutely. So I understand it, but on the other hand, I miss doing Star Wars. So, Well, hopefully, you know, once they do feel like they get established or, you know, as they hit the status quo um, and they'll be reaching out to fill in some more stories, hopefully, hopefully we'll get to see more Star Wars from you. Well, that'd be nice. All right, all right, I will let the Star Wars go since I just like tripled your uh, Suicide Squad portion, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, I mean, 
John, let me ask you about uh, the Martian Manhunter. I mean, uh, you took really a longtime B-level character, um, a stalwart of the JLA, but not really anybody who ever shown. And, and what attracted you to do that? Uh, to do that character, the only reason I picked up the series because your name was on it. Well, Tom, uh, Tom Andrick and I were looking for something to do together as our run on the Spectre ended, and something that would they would play to his strengths and my strengths as well. And Martian Manhunter came up, and the reason Martian Manhunter attracted was attractive was because of some of the things you said. He was a B character and wasn't really developed. He was sort of this green version of Superman. He had many of the same powers. So we want to get into how is he different? What makes him different? With the Spectre, we had a sort of single storyline that we followed all the way through. With Martian Manhunters, uh, we were doing something different. We tried to weave a tapestry where you would understand his society, uh, what his attitudes were, his values. And they all came out of, uh, out of his society. Superman came to Earth as a baby, as in, you know, and he was raised here on Earth. And while he's a uh, native of Krypton, he his val his values are those of Kansas. You know, you know he was raised there. But Mar but John Jones was raised on Mars. He came to Earth as a fully formed adult, and in fact, one who had gone through tragedy. That right there, that there's a big difference. Now, I, again, it's been a long time since I've read The Martian Manhunter, but I do remember uh, liking it. But, you know, with Diamond, it was always hard for me to get all the issues. Uh, so I, I do have some gaps in it. But I remember it just seemed like, was it prematurely canceled? Because it just really seemed like you got going and you really seemed to, to, to have this role going. And then all of a sudden, whoosh, it just seemed like it just got cut out from underneath you. I don't know exactly the reason. Uh, I suspect, you know, because there's something in terms of numbers. Do we not appeal to enough people, even through the JLA connection. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You know uh, generally, though, when something like that happens, they see a downward slump in numbers, and they don't think you're going to bring it back up. So um, the problem is once numbers start dropping, you get the retailers are not ordering it as much. And if the retailers aren't ordering, then you have no chance of, of getting it out to the public. It just it just really seemed like you started to hit your stride with that. You're really starting to stretch your legs, and then all of a sudden, what what? This is the last the last issue. Mm -hmm. There's there's so much left. <laughs> you know, to me, it just seemed like there was so much left that was unsaid, undone. Uh, with that, I always thought it was just uh, a bad decision on their part because I was really enjoying it. Um, is that I mean, is that something that frustrates you when that does happen? Uh, you get going, you have all these plans that you'll never get to see. Brought and it's just. Do you file that those ideas away for future use, or is it? Uh, they get filed away, but I don't think I'm ever going to use them. I think where we were a success was that we added layers to the Martian Manhunter and uh, suggested things about him and his past and who he was that could be explored more fully. I don't know whether or not they really have since then. I don't know whether uh, those who have come on since then are interested in doing that. Um, but, again, that's their choice. That's editorial choice. We don't do this very often, John, but um, we were so excited to have you that uh, on our Facebook, and uh, we put out a call to some of our listeners um, for questions that they wanted answered because you've written so much that there's mm -hmm. no way that Adam and I are, are going to be able to cover the, the entirety of it. So um, here's just <laughs> a couple <laughs> Rapid-fire questions uh, on things that people really wanted to know. And you did mention Grimjack. 
Um, what was your ideas for Grimjack, and how did that come about? Well, um, I like what I call narrative alloys, where you take something from here and a little bit of there and then meld them together. Robert E. Howard, for instance, took a little bit of out of horror and out of sword and sandal type stories in order to create sword and sorcery, you know, uh, to integrate the world of Conan. Me, I wanted to meld uh, a touch of sword and sorcery, which I liked, you know, Conan type stories, and uh, film noir, hard boiled detective. You know, those are two different genres that I liked, and I thought, well, okay, how can I meld these two together? And I came up with the hard-boiled barbarian. That evolved eventually into Grimjack. I don't, I don't know who any of these questions are from, Joel, but that's okay. Um, I, I love the name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they'll know, they'll yeah, know yeah. who they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so it says, John, you were so great in the Kent's Western maxi-series from D.C. Would you consider revisiting Westerns with Jonah Hex or another D.C. character? In uh, a miniseries, maxi series, or Earth One OGNs? Um, the simple answer to that is yeah. <laughs> you, you bet. Yeah. Uh, I, I love doing the westerns both uh, both at DC, and then I did a couple over at Marvel as well, uh, which I also really enjoy doing. I love doing a, a good western. <laughs> yeah, it's always a, a real challenge. Actually, I was trying to pitch something like the Kents for many years, and uh, Pete Tomasi was the editor at the time, asked me if I had anything else. And originally, the Kent was going to be about Floyd Lawton, Deadshot's family, going back. Because I thought, well, you know, there's going to be some unsavory characters in it. You know, so maybe they wouldn't want that with, uh, with Superman or with one of the other major characters. Pete liked the idea of the Western, of the historic Western a lot. And he went to Paul Levitz, and Levitz was the one who said, well, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't it sell better if it was about Superman's family? And he was told, well, some of them aren't going to be all that nice. And <laughs> Paul's answer was, so. And wow. so that really steered us towards, um, towards really exploring the Kents. And once I made a decision on an actual historical setting for it, I did a ton of research, and, uh, which was also fun. But uh, I learned a lot of things and then uh, tried to incorporate them into the Kents itself. Is there any character that you haven't written that you would like to write? Oh, sure. Sure, there's, there's scads of them. At Marvel, um, Doctor Strange. You know, at DC, Doctor Fate, which I think actually Paul Levitz is going to be writing now. I'd like to do, I'd like to do more Superman. I'd like, uh, certainly I enjoy doing Batman. I haven't done as much Batman as I'd like. There's just so many characters that in both companies that are a lot of fun to do. But then again, also, I want to see if I can start launching some of my own characters and concepts as well, because now is certainly the time to do that. I am not familiar with First Comics, but one of our listeners wanted to uh, hear you talk a little bit about First Comics, uh, how you kind of it all came together, and really why it didn't last as long as it should have. Well, uh, the way I got into it was uh, my good friend, Mike Gold, was uh, the head editor there. And Mike knew that I loved comics and that I and that I had been writing plays, but I wanted to write comics. So Mike called me up, and uh, also I was a big fan of the play version of Warp. Then Mike knew that as well. So he asked me if I wanted to do a backup feature or, or uh, an eight-page story featuring Sargon. And um, he kept on working with me as as we refined it down and made it better. And I learned things about writing comics at the same time. So. Then uh, Mike finally 
called me up and says, well, we got great news. Your story is going to be in the back of the very first issue of Warp. I said, oh, well, that's nice. Uh, do I get paid for this? <laughs> <laughs> to which my answer was, of course you do, you sap. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and the rest, as they say, is hysteria. From there, you know, that, that was actually the start of my whole comic book career. I'm very fond of that. Mike left at one point to go to D.C. There was a series of other chief editors, uh, some of whom were very good, but I think they sort of lost their direction and focus. And, of course, you know, it gets hard. You know, when, when your sales start going down, how are you going to bolster them back up? They also made a commitment to doing Classics Illustrated uh, or reviving it, and I don't know how well that sold. It was a good idea, but I just don't know if it really took off. So we have a we have a pretty diverse set, group of questions. I'm glad that you asked this, Joel, because it would have just been a Suicide Squad and Star Wars. And <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so uh, this uh, listener would love to hear about your Hawkworld stuff, especially oh. uh, your decision to reverse uh, your take on Katara's dad at the end. Yeah, um, well, I was brought in on that. Uh, Tim Truman originally did the uh, Prestige miniseries of Hawkworld, which relaunched Hawkman and, re- and reinterpreted them. And then when they chose to, uh, to make a continuing series, Tim was not available to do, a, uh, um, to do the continuing series. He, he was willing to consult on it but not do it. So I wound up with the, uh, with the writing thing. I talked with Tim a little bit about what he thought about it. And, um, but then we just took, took it from there, tried to make as interesting series of stories with Hawkman as we could. Well, Hawkman has kind of been one of those characters where, you know, every five years they seem to they seem to just shake the etch a sketch and start over. They they keep they keep nope nope what you heard what uh, what what you read isn't true. It's actually this. Oh no, what you read before wasn't true. It's actually this. They keep changing it up. So I'm not even sure what the uh, what the history is now of the character. I don't know what they're considering canon and not. Yeah, um, part of the problem is if you do it too often. It's like, um, well, uh, to give an example in terms of, of artists, of pencilers, if they go back to a page over and over again and keep on erasing what they've done and then try to redraw over it, sooner or later uh, it's just going to be, uh, the, the page is going to be muddy. Uh, I think the same problem is true is when you keep on reinventing a character. You know, um, you, the, the reader loses track of who the character is and what they're really about. Again, go back to the basics of it, you know, what is essential, and then uh, build it from there, and see if you can do it without totally reinventing the character. There are some times when you need to do that, and I think Tim did a great job of it, because, you know, uh, a good character, it's, it's like a boat. Sometimes you get barnacles on the boat, and it slows it down. So doing a re-look at it once in a while helps you clear off the barnacles on the character and get back to what is essential of the character. But to keep on changing it after that, you lose focus and you lose readers, I think. Let me ask you, I mean, you did do uh, Hawkworld um, with Hawkman and, and, you know, uh, Star Wars, and you kind of seem to have a laid-back kind of point of view on this, but is there anything that they've retconned out or um, that they've just eliminated or ignored completely that you really, that that you really kind of didn't like that they took out? Something you thought, yes, this is going to be integral to the character, and then, oh, no, it's not that at all, and it just really kind of got to you? No, no, to be no? honest, I don't do that. You know, um, I wasn't nuts when they made 
or uh, me, Barbara Gordon, Bat Girl again, and and left Oracle. But she's not. My, I don't own her, you know. And I'm real clear on that. If I don't own the character, I don't control the character. And uh, it's their character to do as as they please. And if that's what they please, then that's what they do. You know, um, I've got I've had a long career, and if I got upset every time that that happened, you know, I'd be a basket case. <laughs> well, you know, I was flipping through previews yesterday, and I guess DC's doing a whole pre-New 52 kind of thing, and so there's a Oracle book coming out in April, I think. <laughs> mm. So they haven't completely abandoned her, that's for sure. They're, it looks like they're uh, trying to appease uh, the fans, <laughs> which can be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's <coughs> excuse me. sometimes it's hard to make fans happy because fans sometimes are divergent, and... You may get those who always miss Batgirl, so that's who they want. They want Barbara Gordon as Batgirl. But there's those who want, who really liked Oracle, and so, so, and that's who they want. So uh, if you got divergent versions of a character, uh, how do you please them all? You know, and the answer is you don't. <laughs> you, uh, I, I love fans, and I am a fan myself. But if you listen too much to the fans, you'll you make yourself <laughs> crazy. Yeah. You know like, what you do. Uh, Fans think they know what they want, but what they want most is to be amazed, surprised, entertained, and uh, and to love the characters, to love the stories. Yeah, I, honestly, I was in the camp of I liked Oracle. I didn't uh, think that Barbara Gordon needed to be Batgirl again. But um, now that Cameron Stewart and Babs Tarr have been on that book, I've actually been enjoying it. So, <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, and the one who brought her brought her back was Gail Simone, and that yeah. isn't jabby, right? Yeah. Adam, did you want to ask the question about Rye? Okay. Well, I, yeah, I can ask this one. I'm actually, um, I didn't read a lot of the Valiant in the uh, first first round of Valiant. I'm, I'm reading some of the Valiant now, and, and I'm digging it. And uh, especially the, the Rye character, it's been pretty cool. Uh, one of our listeners wants to know uh, about your decision to kill Rye and to move uh, Magnus and Rye 20 years into the future, shifting the focus to their kids. Yeah, uh... Let me see if I can pull that memory <laughs> back in my head. Uh, people sometimes ask me, what was in your mind at that time? And I go, I don't know. Uh, I, think, I think there was an editorial thing then that they wanted to, um, that they wanted to do that. Yeah. Again, the idea of reimagining a character. Again, also sometimes it's just, you know, well, our sales are slumping a little bit. Let's do something dramatic and uh, and get people interested in talking about it. And that trick doesn't always work. The only other question I have on here, John, is what do you consider to be your best work? I mean, at the end of the day, when if you wanted to hand somebody something that you wrote and said, this is the best I've done, this is as good as I can possibly write, what would you hand them? I would – I'm always hoping that's the next thing I do. <laughs> oh, that's the best answer yet. You know, I – I got to believe that I haven't written my best story yet. What is it? I mean, but but what is it like? Let's say you walk into a Barnes and Noble, you go to the comic section or the graphic novel, and you see your name on the spines. What is it? What was it? What is that like for you now? And what was it like the first time you saw your name? That's always cool. You know, I'm I'm a big reader and stuff. I mean, that's what got me into writing was the fact that I loved reading so much. I wanted to give back some of the joy that I've gotten out of it. So seeing my name on a book, well, hey, that's that's really kind of cool you know? <laughs> so so yeah and when i get things from fans telling me how much they love this or that i never take that for granted never ever ever have and never ever will 
I've said this elsewhere, but I'll say it here again. You know, uh, I never take the fans for granted. I never assume that that fans, just because they bought something else from me, is going to buy the next thing that I do from me. The fans have, I'm aware of, because I've done this too, is you have to pay for this. You know, a fan has to pay for what they want to read. You know, they're, they're using their money to, to buy what I write. And sometimes it's because my name is on it. So uh, I have to make sure that in the writing alone, in the writing alone, that they get their money's worth. And then if the art is good, the layering is good, and everything else is good, well, then they've gotten more than, the, than their money's worth. But if I don't do that, then I feel like I'm picking the fan's pocket, and I don't want to do that. I don't ever want to do that. So it's important. You know, uh, I value the fans. I value those who buy books because my name is on it. And I, I will never take you for granted. You said that you hope that, you know, your, your best work is, is still ahead of you. And, I mean, you've been writing for quite a few years now, many different publishers, many different characters, many different properties. <coughs> what, uh, what does the future look like for you right now? Well, right now, uh, I'm try- there's a bunch of projects of my own that I'm trying to launch, uh, sometimes with other artists, uh, with a definite artist in mind. I've got lots of new concepts. I don't know if I'll be doing as much work on, a, on established characters, partially because you don't own them. You know, uh, no, I'm lucky that with Amanda Waller, I do have what they call participation in that, but I don't have participation with Suicide Squad per se, and anything that I may have done with any of the characters. Martian Manhunter, Spectre. You know, I don't have participation in those. And that can be a very important point. Also, you know, like when it's your characters, for instance, I said that I don't control those characters, I don't own them. Grimjack I own, or in part I own. And Grimjack I can control. And you bet I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who else writes Grimjack besides me? Nobody. <laughs> so, Are we going to uh, see more Grimjack in the future? I'm planning to, yes. Oh, cool. Okay. I'm sorry. Are, are you going to do it through, like, are you hoping through Image or First Second Comics or something like that? Or like Kickstarter? Uh, or what are you thinking? Because I, I like Grimjack. I can't really talk about the plans just yet um, <laughs> because they're still a little nebulous. But I do have a story idea in mind that I'm actively working on. Oh, so excellent. Once that comes together, then, then we'll talk about the company and the funding and all the rest of it. So you kind of got me thinking about one thing. I mean, we've been talking a lot about all the licensed properties and, or the, you know, the Marvel and the, and the DC or the dark horse and the star Wars. And you had mentioned that you want to start focusing more on kind of create our own stuff after spending so many years working on all these other uh, publisher owned properties. What, what got you kind of thinking about um, being able to manage and do your own characters now? Well, part of it is, you know, for all the fact that I'm, I can let things go and they, and they're all, and I recognize that they're owned by someone who's not me. Yeah. I like the idea of having some control over the character, you know, how it appears, um, what the ideas are behind it. I've been, I've had a very good career so far, and uh, a lot of people have been very generous to me. But at some point, how do you say that this is mine? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you can add to that. I mean, that's the perfect ending. Yeah to this interview john i just want to thank you i I know that like i said you i'm very busy and i know that uh uh you know it it is a a, an ordeal to do these things and i do appreciate you taking you know an hour and a half of your time to talk to some fanboys who Mm -hmm. and like i said at the beginning you know looking through what you've written you really were my reading list for about the past 20 years and i just want to thank you for that well again 
Thanks for doing the reading. Is there anything uh, that we didn't we didn't talk about that that you'd like to mention or talk about? I think we could go another hour and a half. You know, <laughs> other, you know, things like the specter, we yeah. we just oh, barely yeah. touched on the can. Very true. You know, uh, um, firestorm <laughs> uh, legends. When you get right down to it, you know, and I'm sure yeah. that both of you could spend a lot more time on uh, a yeah. Suicide Squad and Star Wars if yeah. you really put your mind to it. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, the thing is, is uh, you know, as I said before, you you've done so many things. I didn't want to go into all the Spectre and all the Far Summer. Really, we would have been here all night. I mean, I kind of, you know, if this went well and, and you're amicable to it, maybe we can come back and pick up some of the some of the other things in the future, but I didn't want to wear out our, our welcome just, you know, right off the bat, or really this would have been like a 19-parter. <laughs> yeah, like well, uh, <laughs> you know, well, yeah, I'd be open to doing it again some more, you know, if you want it, if your listeners want it. Well, hopefully when you get um, you, some of the, the creator-owned stuff that you're talking about out there and maybe some of that Grimjack, we can uh, we can we can do another follow up with you. Okay, okay, that would be a good idea. I think. <laughs> Thank you, John, for everything, and um, I'll let you know when this uh, when this posts, so you can uh, so you can download and take a listen. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, that I can also uh, put my put it up on my board so that people other people want to go in and listen to my blather. They can. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for everything, John, yeah. and you have a good night. Thank you very much. You too. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye.